Welcome to Catholic Views. I'm your host, Renee Kranz. Today's show is going to be a little bit different than we are used to. Um, Dr. Bergwald is on vacation this week, so he was not able to come in and do Biblical Bites with Dr. B, but it's okay. We have someone better. Uh, we have a very special guest here um, who is going to, we're going to use most of our time with him. Uh, so you'll have to wait for Biblical Bites till next week. Um, so today we have, joining us on Zoom, uh, we have um, George Weigel. Uh, he is the uh, Distinguished Senior Fellow of Washington's Ethics and Public Policy Center. Welcome, George. Thank you, Renee. Good to be with you. Yeah. Um, we pulled you away from other things, but uh, I found out you were going to be here in Sioux Falls next week for the um, uh, the Aquinas Lecture. And I I got a hold of Joe Rutten, who was planning that, and I said, please help me reach out to George Weigel. <laughs> I'm a big fan of yours. Um, you, of course, are well known for many books that you've written, uh, one in particular, which is a biography on Pope John Paul II called Witness to Hope. Um, I have not read that one, but you write a weekly column that I read uh, faithfully every week, which I love. So Thank you. Well, yeah. you'll have to get around to Witness to Hope and its sequel, The End and the Beginning, sooner or later. Yeah, yeah. I've heard that's a really good book. Every time um, I mention your name to someone, they're like, oh, yeah, that book's so great. So lots of people have read it, obviously. All right. So we are going to talk about your recent book. It is called To Sanctify the World, uh, The Vital Legacy of Vatican II. I am about halfway through it. Um, it's frankly fascinating. The first part, which you lay out kind of the historical lead up to Vatican II um, is really incredible to read because you think you think when we're in our time right now, we think, oh, we're, it's never been this crazy. Um, but when you start to see all the history that has led up, you're like, well, maybe it's, I mean, there are some, definitely some new things happening, but maybe it's not as crazy as it hasn't been all along. <laughs> so, all right, George, let's start um, if you don't mind just telling us a bit about yourself first for people who don't know you. Well, Renee, um, I was born in Baltimore, mm -hmm. uh, grew up there, uh, did my graduate studies in Toronto, uh, lived in Seattle for nine years. I've been back here on the East Coast in Washington since 1984. I became the president of the Ethics and Public Policy Center in uh, on June 1st of 1989. And as I like to say, the Berlin Wall came down five months later, so that was pretty good work. <laughs> Way to go. <laughs> in, in 1995, I had this crazy idea that I should write the biography of John Paul II, uh, which he agreed to. Uh, we had known each other for over three years at that point. Uh, and so for the next three and a half years, I devoted my life to producing uh, the book Witness to Hope, and stayed in close touch with, with the late Pope until his death in, in 2005. In 2010, I published a sequel to Witness to Hope called The End and the Beginning. And then uh, seven years after that, I published a book called Lessons in Hope, My Unexpected Life with St. John Paul II, which laid out the once seemingly coincidental but in retrospect, providential facets of my life that had led to my becoming his biographer, and then described our interactions and relationship in much more personal terms 
than was uh, appropriate to two volumes of, of scholarly biography. Right. So that that's the basic outline. Uh, sure. Yeah, it's interesting that you said providential um, because it, it, we do think things are coincidental and then we look back and it's like God was probably leading you that way all along. Well, that seems to be the case. Yeah. I mean, we always understand our lives better through the rearview mirror. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, John Paul II, on the first anniversary of getting shot in his front yard in 1981, uh, went to Fatima. To, on a pilgrimage of thanksgiving for his life having been spared. And he said at the airport in Lisbon, when he got off the plane, in the designs of Providence, there are no mere coincidences. Right. <laughs> what we think of as coincidental or happenstance or just random, uh, in fact, is a facet of our lives that we just haven't gotten into the frame that that divine providence has set for our lives. And and that helped me think through my own life uh, in, a, in a slightly different way. Right. I did that book, Lessons in Hope. Yeah. Okay, well, let's turn to your current book, uh, To Sanctify the World. Uh, why did you write this book? I wrote it uh, in part, uh, Renee, for young people. Uh, young adults today are in the same temporal relationship the Second Vatican Council that I would have been, been at their age to the First World mm, War. Sure. Great Depression. Beyond that, the teaching of history, including perhaps especially church history, has simply collapsed mm -hmm. over the last several generations. So young people today have no idea, most of them, what the church was actually like in the mid-20th century, why some of the wisest and holiest spirits in the church believed in those days that the church needed renewal in order to fulfill the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations, nor do many young people today, or indeed not so young people today, <laughs> right. Have read the documents of the Second Vatican Council, know how to read them in their proper order, understand how the Council was given its authoritative interpretation by John Paul II and Benedict XVI. So that provided the structure of the book. First, why was the Council necessary? Second, what the Council actually taught. And third, how the Council was appropriately and authoritatively interpreted by John Paul II and Benedict XVI. Right. Okay, so uh, what were some of the key things that led Pope John XXIII to summon the council? Because he, he started it. He wasn't the one who finished it, but what led him to start it? I think he understood through a rather unique experience, Renee, that Western civilization was in crisis. I mean, it might have looked stable, but uh, come on, in the first half of the 20th century, uh, we'd gone through two world wars. There were oceans of blood and mounts of, mountains of corpses everywhere. It was the greatest persecution of the church in history. The world had witnessed the Holocaust, the Chinese Cultural Revolution, the Ukrainian hunger famine. Uh, and things were not in great shape. Right. Uh, 
moreover, the world had become increasingly tone deaf to, to biblical religion and was follow, following all sorts of, of false gods. And John the Twenty-Third, who had lived that experience, he was a, an Italian army chaplain during the First World War. Mm. He had been in the Vatican diplomatic service and had rescued Jews from the Holocaust during the Second World. He had been the nuncio, the nuncio, the Vatican representative in Paris for five years and had seen how that eldest daughter of the church, France, had been paralyzed by a 150-year-long dispute between royalists and small-r republicans. Uh, he had seen as Patriarch of Venice how the church in Italy was something of a hollow shell. Mm -hmm. uh, so when he comes to the papacy as an old man, uh, as old men were then thought of, right. <laughs> 1962, 77, uh, he knows that we needed to do something. Mm -hmm. that the church had to renew itself find new ways to express ancient truths to deal with this civilizational crisis. So that's why he summoned Vatican II. Right. Okay, so um, that whole part, that first part of the book was really, really just fascinating to read. I, I know quite a bit about World War II and so on, but reading that and understanding some of that really helped me understand why Vatican II happened. So thanks for including that part in there. Um, you speak often in your book about the renewal of the Catholic mind. Uh, so what do you mean by that, and why does it matter? It was a great uh, flourishing, uh, Rene, of Catholic theological, biblical, and philosophical reflection in from really from the early 19th century in Europe through the, through the mid-20th century. Uh, a recovery of the luminous thought of the fathers of the church, whom people would call the fathers of the church in the first half of the first millennium, mm -hmm. uh, a new understanding of the importance of the Bible for Catholic theology, new uh, explorations in philosophy, the handmaid of theology, uh, in light of developments in Western culture over the the previous 300 years, all of this uh, was a real Catholic intellectual renaissance. Mm -hmm. And because ideas do have consequences for good and for evil, uh, those ideas, it came to be understood, many of them, were important in responding to the bad ideas that had made such a mess, a lethal mess, of the first half of the 20th century. So when, by the time the council meets, beginning in October 1962, there are materials at hand with which to address this problem of a civilization in crisis. And those were the materials of which the council made, in my judgment, very good use. Okay, good. What were the three most important things come out of Vatican II? Because I think a lot of people, most people don't know really what Vatican II did at all. Or they think they know, but they really don't, or they're they're wrong about what they know. Which sounds harsh, but <laughs> that's Renee saying that. <laughs> um, so, what are the three most important things that came out of that council? 
I think the three most important teachings of Vatican II, Rene, were first, that Christ must be at the center of the church's life and proclamation. The church before Vatican II often proposed the church and meeting Christ through the church, through okay. the institution of the church. Mm -hmm. That was not going to work in a, in a post-Christendom world. Right. In a world that had become, as John Henry Newman said in the late 19th century, simply irreligious. So the first thing the council does is say Christ is at the center. And in meeting Christ, we meet both the truth about God, the father of mercies, and the truth about ourselves as human beings and our noble nature and dignity. So Christ at the center is the first. Mm -hmm. Secondly, the council taught that the church is, as the Council Fathers put it, the sacrament of the unity of the human race. Humanity had made a great mess out of trying to create authentic human mm -hmm. community in, in, in modern conditions. The French Revolution made a mess of this. Uh, communism made a mess of this. German National Socialism made a mess of this. Mao Zedong was making a mess of this. Mm -hmm. And consumer culture was making a mess of this. Yep. So the council says to the world, you want to see what authentic human community looks like. Here we are, where there is neither slave nor free, Greek nor Jew, all are one in Christ Jesus. So that's the second important teaching. Okay. And the third important teaching is that this community of the church centered on Christ does not exist for itself alone. It exists to offer others the gift it has been given, friendship with the incarnate Son of God, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. So every place is missionary territory, and every one in the communion of the church is a missionary. We are all missionary disciples. So those are the three central teachings of the council, as I understand. Okay, good. Uh, if you just joined us, we're talking to George Weigel about his recent book, To Sanctify the World. Uh, it's about Vatican II. Okay, so you just touched on something. Um, I'm going to skip ahead just a little bit because this plays into this really well at the moment. Um, our diocesan vision in the Diocese of Sioux Falls is lifelong Catholic missionary discipleship through God's love. Um, it infuses everything we do here right now uh, and hopefully for a long time to come. Um, so how can we look at Vatican II to help us as a diocese and as individual Catholics um, who wish to live as missionary disciples? Because that's the call. Uh, that's a great diocesan vision, mm -hmm. Renee, and it's mirrored in the living parts of the world church around the world. Yeah. I mean, if you look around the world church today, the dying parts of the world church are the, those trying to uh, turn the church into a pale imitation of the spirit of the age, yep. Germany. Um, and the living parts of the world church are those that have embraced this notion of missionary discipleship and are joyfully offering people friendship with the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you do that? It's going to be very different in very different cultural situations. How you inform yourself to do that through Vatican II, I would suggest beginning 
with the two most important documents of the Second Vatican Jews, the dogmatic constitution on divine revelation and the dogmatic constitution on the church. The dogmatic constitution on divine revelation is a rather short document. Mm -hmm. It is richly biblical and patristic. It is wonderful spiritual reading as well as catechetical mm -hmm. reading. And it robustly and gratefully affirms that we do not live in a world of silence, uh, a world without, to vary the imagery, windows, doors, or skylights. This is a world in which, into which God has spoken. Right. First through the people of Israel, later in the incarnation of the second person of the Trinity. And in that revelation of who God is, we learn who we are and where we are going. Human history is not random and pointless. It has a direction. That direction is toward communion with the thrice holy God, the holy trinity. So that's the dogmatic constitution on divine revelation. Mm -hmm. Dogmatic constitution on the church uh, teaches us that we all, by our baptism, bear responsibility for the church. Now, and for the mission of the church. Mm -hmm. Now, we exercise those responsibilities in different ways. Uh, you do it one way, uh, Bishop de Groot does it another way, the priests of the diocese do it yet another way. Mm -hmm. Teachers in your Catholic schools do it another way. But all of us should measure the quality of our discipleship in whatever vocation we live by our, frankly, effectiveness as missionaries. How, how many people have we introduced to Christ or brought back into the communion of the church over the past year? That's an important reflection for Lent. Yeah, yeah. At Lent, at Easter, we're all blessed with baptismal water, Easter water. And in preparation for that renewal of our baptismal promises, which we do at the Easter Vigil or Easter Sunday, we should be thinking during Lent, how effective a missionary disciple have I been this year? Even if that is a matter of an intensified prayer life, uh, dedicated to the support of others who are living more active vocations. So those are some things I think that we learn uh, from the council about how to be missionary disciples. Yeah, and I think one of the important things we have to remember as we're doing our missionary discipleship work is that um, you you mentioned you're, you're um, inviting people to the church or actually bringing people back to the church. You have to remember that you aren't always going to be able to bring people in, and that's okay. There are lots of ways to be a missionary disciple. You mentioned by um, prayer to support those who are doing that work. So, uh, yeah, I think we just have to remember that Jesus does a lot of the work. We just plant the seeds a lot of the time. So, yeah. Um, okay, so I think you may have mentioned this. I haven't gotten to the third section of the book, which talks about the keys to the Vatican. Um, I have a feeling that the two you just talked about are probably two of the keys. <laughs> Is that right? Well, the keys to the council. Um, one of the oddities about Vatican II is that unlike every 
previous council, the 20th previous ecumenical councils, gatherings of all the world's bishops. Uh, one of the differences about Vatican II is that unlike every other council, it did not provide the keys to its own proper interpretation. Every other council had done that. Oh, okay. First Council of Nicaea in 325 AD gives us the creed we recite on Sundays. That's the key to what the Council of Nicaea thought it was doing. Mm -hmm. uh, the title Mother of God, affirmed by the Council of Ephesus in the early 5th century, that dogmatic definition, Mary is Theotokos, God-bearer or Mother of God, is a key to what the fathers of the Council of Ephesus meant. Other councils condemned heresies, that's another form of key. Mm -hmm. Canons into the law of the church, that's another form of key. Council of Trent did a lot of catechism right. to the main. Vatican II did none of that. No creed, no definitions, no condemnations, no canons, no catechism. So a 20-year brawl over <laughs> what was this all about and what are we supposed to do about it. Then, over a 35-year period between 1978 and 2013, two important figures at the Council, Karol Wojtyla, the former Archbishop of Krakow, and Joseph Ratzinger, one of the three most important theologians at the Council, in their roles as John Paul II and Benedict XVI, gave the Church the keys to the Second Vatican Council through their teaching of. Most importantly, at the 1985 Special Synod of Bishops, which said the key, the master key to the Second Vatican Council is the idea of the church, which we have dis discussed here, mm -hmm. community of disciples in mission. That's the master key to understanding the 16 documents of Vatican II. And then that synod also authorized the creation of a new catechism, what we know as the Catechism of the Catholic Church, published in 1992 or 93. And I describe that in the book, To Sanctify the World. The catechism is the key chest. Oh, it's okay. The key chest to all of the proper keys of, of Vatican II. Mm -hmm. So again, people who are looking to understand how the Council imagined our lives as Christians, our lives of prayer, our lives as worship, our lives of witness, our lives of charity. Read the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Right, right. That's, that's the key just to the teaching of Vatican. Okay. That's really helpful. And actually, as you say that, like I said, I haven't gotten to that part of the book, but as you say that, I can see that kind of emerging from what you've already talked about in, in what I've read so far, that it makes sense now that it is catechism that is the key. That completely makes it's sense. It's the key test, yeah. It, it holds the multiple keys to a proper understanding of the nature and mission of the church in the 21st century. Right. All right, George, we have a few minutes left. Um, what do you think, why has it been such a struggle to uh, incorporate, or I'm not sure if that's the right word, but to uh, embrace Vatican II's teachings? And uh, do you see hope that we're making progress? 
Well, as I said a moment ago, Renee, the living parts of the World Church are those that have embraced this call to missionary discipleship, according to the spirit and letter of Vatican II. Mm -hmm. So that's a great sign of you. Um, why has this been so messy? Well, it's because councils are always messy. <laughs> Every one of these 21 exercises uh, began because of controversy, was conducted in controversy, and was followed by controversy. <laughs> Therefore, thank you, Lord Jesus, that we've only had 21 of these because <laughs> all, they always make a, a lot of air turbulence. It usually takes about a century for the council to, for a council to be worked into the texture of Catholic life. It's just false to think that the Council of Trent met to respond to the various Protestant reformations in the 16th century, and once the Council of Trent was finished, everybody snapped a salute, and the council, the church became the Tridentine church. That's just not the way it was. Right. It took about 100 years to work that teaching into the texture of Catholic culture. So we're about three-fifths of the way mm -hmm. through the reception process, and as the living parts of the world church are the ones that have embraced the council. I would say, you know, we're not in bad shape at Good. this point looking forward, although the air turbulence can get a bit disorienting every once in a while. But the Holy Spirit has not abandoned the church. We have the Lord's guarantee for that. And if we look at what's living in the world church today, it is those parts of the church that have embraced the teaching of Vatican II as authoritatively interpreted by John Paul II and Benedict XVI. Right, right. Good. Well, I'm glad there's at least hope. <laughs> there's always hope. Yes. <laughs> it may not be optimism that gives it. <laughs> right. All right. Well, as I said earlier, you will be in Sioux Falls next week, March 21st, which I believe is a Tuesday night, if I remember right. Um, for the Aquinas Lecture. This is at the Cathedral of St. Joseph in Sioux Falls. Um, it is free to attend, and uh, doors open at 6.30 in like 15 seconds, <laughs> if you can do it. Are, are you talking about this book, or are you talking about something else? Okay. Oh, I'll be I'll be doing a, a much, I hope, deeper dive. Oh, good. The meaning of Vatican II, why it was necessary, what it taught, and wh what we do with it. Now. Sure, sure, good. I will be there, so... Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to it very much. I'm dragging my husband along. Actually, he was he was quite excited about it. So, <laughs> all right. Yeah, we'll thank you. you. Yeah, thank you so much, George, for joining us. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. All right. Uh, you can always find us at the diocesan website at sfcatholic.org anytime. That is it for us today. Hope you'll join us again next week for more Catholic views. Before we go today, I want to tell you a little bit about a new project we have coming out of the uh, diocese. You should be getting an email newsletter from us. It's called Against the Current. You'll see that every week on Tuesdays. It'll have a weekly challenge to help you become a holier Catholic in everyday life, stories and videos to help you grow in your faith, news and messages from Bishop DeGrood, so you don't want to miss those. Um, also stories about how to live life just as a Catholic and how to do that better. You can, if you're not getting in your email, you can go to our website, sfcatholic.org, go to the communications and media tab and click on newsletter to sign up. That is it for us today. Hope you'll join us again next week for more Catholic Views. <laughs>